0: On vacation for a couple weeks. Find a seat, and uh, our mornings are full of uh, hustle and movement, trying to get in to get here. Let, let's just take a minute, just that you know each one can just kind of internally, kind of regroup, refocus. Just a little quiet moment to. Uh, uh, settle our hearts uh, so let's do that together just uh Last week, uh, for those of you who weren't here, Pastor Michael um, shared some thoughts on worship, and uh, there was a passage from Hebrews 12 that he read. I'd like to just kind of re- remind us of that as we get started this morning. Um, there is a, an ancient understanding um, among you know, Christians about worship, the worship of the gathered church that goes back really... Uh, close to the beginning in terms of when it's articulated, and the belief is that when Christians of a local congregation gather uh, self-consciously uh, as the body of Christ and purposefully to worship the living God, that at that place, no matter how humble and simple the gathering of believers is, that's the place that heaven touches earth, that in a sense heaven opens And that um, the thought is that the local congregation is not initiating worship. The congregation is entering into the worship that is taking place in heavenly places um, uh, all the time. And that uh, so we would be joining all the saints that have gone before us through the ages. We'd be joining uh, the the heavenly host, you know, those myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands that uh, surround the throne. And in a sense, we'd be joining all the other local congregations that are meeting to uh, give praises to God. Um, you may recall that uh, in Second uh, Kings uh, 6, there's a little incident in the life of Elisha. Uh, the king of the Arameans sent his whole army to get Elisha. And uh, uh, elisha 's in this little town, and they wake up and they look in every direction there 's this army that surrounds the town uh, elisha 's servant is in a panic, and Elisha is just totally unmoved by what <laughs> what he 's saying and uh, elisha 's comments to his servant is, "Do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then elisha prayed and said, "O Lord, I pray." open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around. Um, There is, you know, just beyond the veil of our natural senses, a spiritual reality that exists, whether we perceive it or not. And those chariots of fire, whether the servant could see them or not, they still were there. And for us, whether we really perceive it in the natural senses or not there is this heavenly reality that we're invited to enter into together and join um, you know this glorious uh, happening in heaven the passage in uh... hebrews twelve i'll just read that it's uh, begins at verse eighteen uh... pastor michael read about half the section and then alluded to the rest we will just read the whole thing to the end of the chapter But read, as I read it, think in terms of, you know, hear it with your imagination in terms of looking into heaven, that, that this is where we're going together this morning. Verse 18 of Hebrews 12, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of a trumpet, and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountains, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who is enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom, That cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, we do ask for grace this morning. The eyes of our heart would be enlightened to see into those heavenly things that uh, you would carry us um, in your goodness uh, to see you in in ways that uh, draws worship from our hearts, and we do ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. To um, for those uh, that uh, came in after a few opening comments, just to um, um, kind of briefly recap the thought that I'd like to have in the background of um, of your minds as, as we. Um, uh, look at we're going to look at a little passage in uh, Revelation chapter one. Uh, but building on what Pastor Michael shared last week about worship, and that passage. Now, should I back up, or is that no. is that the problem? Okay, okay. Um, that thought that when the church gathers, that that heaven touches earth earth at that point. That. Um, that heaven opens, you know, we can see it uh, spiritually, see it by faith. And uh, so, if you have a Bible and like, oops, put this up here. Revelation chapter 1. Gonna, this points us to another unseen reality. Whether we see it or not doesn't mean it's not real. It's just our perceptions. And so John uh, gives us this report beginning in verse 9 of his experience. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos, because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were like white wool, Like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things." As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let's think a little bit about John's experience and ours um, For all of John's experiences with the Lord Jesus, I mean, just think about that, you know, that he was right at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, walked with him, lived with him for three years. Um, Seeing the, you know, the dead raised, the the lame walk, the blind see. He was there at the upper room in the Last Supper with his head against the the chest of the Lord Jesus. Um, He was there at the foot of the cross as the Lord Jesus was dying and, and Jesus, uh, in a sense, gives his mother to John to care for her. John was there when the risen Christ appears again in the upper room and was with him 40 days uh, after his resurrection. He, he was there and, and watched him ascend into the heavens. Um, this is uh, this uh, account uh, on the island of Patmos. He's an old man now, and he had walked all these decades, walked in the Spirit, walked... Uh, in faith, by faith, with the Lord Jesus. But this experience was totally, uh, we have reason to believe that it quite unique, that it was something uh, on a different order, that uh, um, John encounters the risen Christ in a more immediate and a more direct way than we have any uh, record of for him before. And, before. and, and I, I don't doubt that even this awesome manifestation of the risen Christ, um is still dialed down from, because we know from what John wrote in his gospel, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, you know, and it's like, no man shall see God and live, you know, so even here, it's, it's you know, dialed down just um, so that uh, it, it doesn't destroy us, um, and uh, and yet we still see the tenderness, the gentleness of the Lord Jesus, and he laid his right hand, you know, so he falls at his feet like a dead man, just you know, overwhelmed by the awesomeness of what he sees. And and Jesus lays his right hand upon him and says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. And he gets this command, write therefore the things which you have seen. So think about this. The risen Christ commands his apostle to write from the vantage point. This is a first-person account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's what we just read. And, and you see, even under inspiration, and even though he was there and is reporting his experience, he's, he's struggling with the language. You know, when you get a lot of this, it was, l- the, I call it like language. You know, well, it was like this, and it was like that. And it was, you know, they're saying it's, it, it's not that, but this is the closest thing I can think of. You know, uh, his head, his hair was white like wool. Well, no, it's like snow. You know, you're, gr- you're groping for language trying to get this eternal, you know, uh, trying to stuff it down into human language. I mean, it just you, know, you just have this sense of uh, um, that's just the nature of it. Um, but he's trying to give his readers some inkling of what he experienced, and that's, and that's what the Holy Spirit said, this is enough you know, in terms of what, what language can carry. Um, but in spite of the command of Christ to write, in spite of his first-person experience, in spite of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we sit here today, how do we know for certain that we are not experiencing and reading what John experienced in seeing? I mean, as I look out across this, how do I know that <laughs> none of us have fallen down like a dead man? Right? It's like, and and but that's not that's not a critique. I mean, that's just an observation. That's not a, because of a lack of faith. It's not because we don't believe it's the word of God. It's not because. Um, we don't believe that John really experienced these things. Um, it is uh, the nature of. Uh, and I think it's an important lesson: the, the, the nature of coming to the scriptures and what God um, has for us as we, as we read these kind of accounts. It's. Um, Because typically, God uses the scriptures in our lives rather than a, 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 you know, a present manifestation. You know, we don't, we can't limit God. Don't want to limit God. Can't. You know, it's just. But, you know, the, the, the testimony of the saints through the ages that the scriptures is is how God, you know, by the Holy Spirit, uh, brings His truth to us. And I think that really, it's in His mercy. You know, I think psychically we'd be destroyed if there was too much manifestation. You know, remember Isaiah, kind of similar to John's experience, Isaiah 6, you know, when all of a sudden he sees the Lord high and lifted up in the temple, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone. You know, it's like that woe, that was the, the prophetic pronouncement of damnation. You know, woe to you. You know, when you get the woe, but here's Isaiah pronouncing woe upon himself, you know, when he sees God. And he, and he says, you know, I'm undone. It's like I'm coming unraveled. I'm coming unglued. I'm falling apart. To to come into even a se- somewhat veiled manifestation of the divine glory is it, it takes us apart in a way that that we cease to be able to function. And so I think typically God, in His mercy, you know, He 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 uh, He communicates to us in a more gentle and a more subtle way, but no less transforming. But it just ta- it it comes in a in a, in a more patient, we need to have more patience in the process than just, you know, boom, you know, the, the Lord is there in, in full manifestation. So while, um, because, you know, as, as Paul says, you know, we're walking by faith and not by sight. It's not the physical eyes. There is, but there, faith is like a spiritual vision. I think that's the whole thing. When you read Hebrews 11, you know, the, uh, about all these that walk by faith, the thing that that really stands out is that, Faith is, is kind of a spiritual organ of sight, you know. Um, and you can just read it, and, and you just see how often the, that they saw things by faith, you know. They saw Jerusalem. They saw the city that was, you know, they, they died in faith, but they saw the city from afar. Um, and you can see that. Um, and Paul says, uh, you know, the familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in a mirror uh, dimly. Um, but then, face-to-face, you know, now we see in a mirror dimly. And it's, now whether that's reference to, you know, that, that the ancient mirrors just aren't, weren't as clear as modern mirrors. And I, they, were, they were polished metal, and so that's probably true, um, that there was not the, the, the just crystal clear clarity. Um, there's also a sense of, uh, you know, we see in a, gla- in a mirror um, where, like if, if you're holding a mirror and looking back over your shoulder at something, that's kind of the sense of, of uh, you know, that there's, we're, we're looking at heavenly things through this mirror um, and that um, uh, it's not the same as being face-to-face. I mean, seeing, uh, you know, your beloved's face in a mirror is not the same as, you know, looking at her face-to-face, you know. And uh, and also, you know, a mirror, you've got this this, this vast reality of spiritual things, and, and you're looking at it in this mirror. I mean, it, probably all of us have had the experience, um, uh, you know, back when I was growing up, it was f- film cameras. You know, so you would have your little Polaroid. Now you pull out your iPhone and, and you say, oh, look at this. You know, I was in the mountains. You know, I was up, you know, in, in uh, the Smoky Mountains. And look at this picture. And, you know, you kind of, it was just so awesome. And you're looking with your friend and you go, well, um, you really, you had to be there. You know, it's like you just can't cram. What you were seeing, even in the natural realm, you can't fit it into your iPhone. It just doesn't, you know, it's like, well, yeah, that's what it looked like. But no, no, that's not what it, not what it looked like. It was so much more than that. And so whatever, how are, you know, we've seen a mirror dimly. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but we got to keep looking. We've we got to keep looking. Um, so back, this, this idea of where heaven touches earth... Um, Though we don't, in, in the moment, experience, you know, Paul, or, uh, John had this supernova experience of the risen Christ. You know, it just exploded into his consciousness where, when the Lord showed up in that way. Um, but we can experience, you know, we can begin to experience that same transforming um, reality in this more gradual, in, in a sense a more subtle way, um, but I think profound, transforming. So, whereas John looked and saw Christ walking among the lampstands, which were the low, the, there were these churches, this, this circle of churches in what is today western Turkey. Uh, geographically, they formed this kind of little, kind of a, a circle uh, um, geographically, and um, um, we see, we look at this passage. We see in a mirror dimly um, that the risen Christ is walking this moment among the lampstands, among the various individual congregations in Cherokee County, North Carolina, um, North, you know, the United States, in the world. The Lord Jesus if we had eyes to see, is walking among the lampstands. That's part of the invisible reality. He is here. Um, the, uh, um, you know, we see in a mirror dimly when we read this, this account of the Lord Jesus that, that the risen Christ is very different than the popular notion of Jesus. Jesus. Um, you know, J- Jesus is not some you know divinized human guru, right? When we look at this. You know, we don't fully under we don't even fully understand the the imagery that John's trying to present to us, and we acknowledge that. You just look at that and go, I don't really fully grasp that. But but you know, we gaze into it, and it tells us that 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 the impact on the human soul is that. You're so overcome by awe that you just fall down like a dead man. That is, that's the the being that we, um, that is walking among us unseen, in a sense, uh, at least to the the physical senses. But we can gaze into this and see in a mirror dimly, yes, this is the one that is walking among the churches. Um, Now, Jesus said, you know, where two or three are gathered together in my name. There I am in the midst of them. He says later at the end of uh, the the seventh letter, you know, these letters to the churches, which, by the way, as an aside, these are letters. Yes, there were particular congregations and they had particular issues. Uh, Jesus affirmed some things about the congregational life. He he, uh, brought correction and admonishment about other things. But each one of them, they're written to all believers because every letter ends... With he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, that, you know we'll find ourselves there uh, as you read the different uh, letters. But in the last letter, you know, that, that famous phrase, which is usually used in evangelistic enterprises, but it, it's really devotion to believers, you know, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Well, who is this one that's standing at the door and knocking? Well, chapter one, it's like, whoa. It's, uh, but he's, he's knocking, you know, the, the verse before it is, Those whom I love, those whom I love, I discipline. Our God is a consuming fire. Remember what we read, you know, and from Hebrews 12, our God is a consuming. Well, consuming in what way? I mean, it is the it's the fire of love that is that purposes everything that stands as an obstacle between your soul and your Savior. He His love is going to consume that. Now, that's not always a. Uh, a comfortable process. And we all know that by... We can all say yeah, by experience. That that, but but that's, that's... And he's knocking at the door, not in wrath, but in love. You know, it, you know it's, it's kind of that, that gentleness and tenderness that we saw with John where, you know, John's wiped out and that right hand goes down and just puts his hand on him and said, don't, don't fear. And there he is, you know, this one that, that can speak the worlds into existence... And we're, we're in our, you know, we're kind of, we got the door closed in our little space, and, and he's just humbly, you know, it's, it's another example uh, to me of, um, you know, when Paul talks about the incarnation in Philippians uh, 2, he emptied himself. I mean, how different than a human king, how different than a human, you know, being that, you know, kick the door in, you know, bring the SWAT team, whatever, you know, you just burst in because it's my right, I'm God, you're not, and it, no, it's, that's just not. So even though there's this awesome awesome one, there's this gentleness, there's this patience because we're in this process, and it's love that animates it, not some power trip. So we see in the mirror dimly this one that is um, knocking to... Ooh, you know, but it's kind of scary to let him in. It was kind of reminded us, think about this uh, those famous words in C.S. Lewis' The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that little, uh, oh, that the movie mangled so totally. I couldn't it just, oh, I was like, oh. When, um, uh, but uh, if you've uh, read that, um, let's see, where'd I put it? Oh, there it is. its got to be in there. When uh, the children uh, that are in uh, Narnia, they're told that they're going to meet Aslan, the Christ figure um, in the story, um, who is the great lion. It's, it's, uh, you know, drawing from the lion of the tribe of Judah kind of imagery. Susan asks, oh, is he quite safe? To which Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. And that, you know, so behold, I stand at the door and knock. No, he's not safe. I mean, you let, you let the Lord Jesus into your life. You let the Lord Jesus into your church. You let the Lord Jesus into your family, into your world. No, it's not safe. <laughs> but, but what comes of it is good. What comes of it is good. And um, um, so we see in a mirror dimly this one that uh, walks among the lampstands. Another, in um, this dealings in the church, this, this removing all that, uh, that bl- really blinds us to him. It reminded me also of, of this, um, you know, the consuming fire imagery. Uh, in Malachi, there is um, this idea of, of letting the Lord Jesus in. Um, Malachi 3, it says, And the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. But who can endure? the day of His coming. And who can stand when He as a smelter... or And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord's offerings of righteousness. Back to this theme of worship. So... You know the ancient church you know through the, through the centuries through the millennia, this idea that, as we gather that that God would give us spiritual eyes to see that we 're not really starting to worship, we are entering into the worship that 's already happening in heaven. we see it dimly, but we can see it in the spirit um, that we are we want this one that walks among the lampstands to be in our midst, you know that we we would Yes, we see him dimly. We don't see him like John saw him, but we can gaze upon him uh, through the scriptures, and and it does a work in us. You know, we you have to believe that. You know, for you to sit um, and just kind of uh, in closing um, on the actually on the back of the bulletin, um, if you know these thoughts. how do how do we cultivate this? You know, so I see dimly. You know, I see John's experience. That's not my experience. But take John's account, which is first person, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and sit with it. Our problem, I, you know, there's a place for kind of study and analysis and cross-references and commentaries. There's a place for that. I don't, you know, kind of figure out the, the symbolism. But if that's all you do, I can just tell you, you are traveling on the surface. It's just the surface of what's there because you're not gonna you're not gonna figure it out. It's not something you, you, you know. It's like oh, if I just knew Greek, then I'd fall down as a dead man. No, you wouldn't. It it is a revelation. It's a, it's revealed the truth of this, and to just sit with a passage like like Revelation 1 or Revelation 4 and 5 where John's taken up into heaven. What is, what's heavenly worship look like? Well, there's one place where we get a glimpse of it. Now, again, we're seeing in a glass darkly. I mean, we're not experiencing what John experienced, but, but it's there. And we can kind of, you know, just to gaze at it, to, pon- to, to ponder it, not analyze it, but just to sit with it and say, you know, this is reality, whether I perceive it or not. You know, this is what this is what he's like as the risen Christ. This is what it's like in heaven before his throne, and and where the, the elders they throw themselves prostrate at the feet of God. Worthy are you, O Lord. You know, worthy. Um, and and it, it's okay that we don't see it in fullness, but as we sit there, as we gaze, as we take time, it takes patience. But just not trying to make something happen. But Lord, just show me, show me, show me. I tell you, we are transformed by that. We are transformed, not because we figured it out, but because God just gently, gently reveals to us and takes us deeper, takes us deeper, and our, our hearts begin to resonate with, you know, um, what's taking place in, in heavenly places. Um, and so, you know, as we gather together, you know, Sunday by Sunday, I, this is a, I really, I really believe that, that the The utter importance of the body of Christ, I mean the, I mean that the the consciously gathering people, the body of Christ, I believe that I will not come to full maturity without you. I think Ephesians four is absolutely clear on that you know that its as the gifts function as working together in love, it says that we all grow up to a mature man in Christ um, you know it doesn 't so it's not that you know we can't grow you know if if we're in a an isolated place some unusual situations missionaries in the jungle all sorts of things but but as a rule, I understand that I absolutely will not come to full maturity in Christ without without you, without you being who you are, who the Lord has made you to be, how the Lord has gifted you with you without you functioning, that, um, uh, and I think the worship is the same way. Um, uh, worship is like. Um, the the image this uh, this week. You ever seen? Um, seems like something just turned on. Done. Uh, you ever seen those solar uh, furnaces out in the pictures of the solar furnaces out in the desert? You know where they have some tower that they heat water in, and they got thousands of mirrors that surround this tower, and all these individual mirrors are are focused on one point on this tower, and it just I mean it's thousands of degrees that it generates. But each individual mirror is nothing. I mean, you just put one mirror out there and it's like, yawn, nothing happens. It's just, but you put all those mirrors together and all of a sudden something is illuminated, something is generated this tremendous. And I think that, you know, for us individually as we come to worship together, it's like, I'm not going to experience God in worship the way. I could and should without you. I need you to be, you know, to be those with your hearts tuned to the Lord. And anything, you know, that's why, you know, Paul says, you know, don't put an obstacle in a brother's way. You know, don't do that. You know, food, drink, all that stuff. That's nothing. You know, don't do that to each other. Because I need you to, to be growing in Christ. I need you to be focused and loving your Lord. Um, even purely, you know, what, they, what did uh, Adam Smith called it? Enlightened self-interest. You know, <laughs> I mean... We need one another in that way. And so that the, when the church gathers, we're like all those individual mirrors that are that are clean and focused on the risen Son of God. And, and something happens together that will never happen. I mean, you have wonderful quiet times. I think, you know, I do, you do, but there's something else that goes on in the gathered church, and, uh, and we need that. And so, yes, we see dimly, but as we gaze... In faith, in love, uh, in patience, um, the vision is given. And uh, may God grant us to, to grow in that together. And, and uh, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we know that uh, uh, we do see in a mirror dimly. But um, your apostle said that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. I ask that you bless your people here. We want, oh God, to be worshipers of you. You are seeking those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that gather here. I thank you for their heart uh, to please you, to love you, to know you, to serve you. And uh, that, Father, we ask for the grace to excel still more in these things. God, that we would uh, come with a heavenly vision of what's taking place even now around your throne. God, we want to enter into that. We want to be in harmony and, and union with, with uh, the brothers and sisters that have gone on before and have, have uh, died in faith with the angels of heaven, with, with uh, just the mysteries that's, that are there. God, give us eyes to see in the Spirit. Um, we ask that you bless us now for Jesus' sake. Amen.